Well, you can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal, or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Welcome, one and all, to the film podcast, Be Real. We're two friends on opposite ends of the country, review and reappraise films. This week, we'll be doing a bit of both, all based around a very unique actress working today, but we'll get into all that. My name's Chance Solem Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. How are you, buddy? I am sunburned from head to toe. <laughs> Sounds like it's time for the Ethos Corner. Thanks. Thanks for doing this. Keep it real. Think slow. We should get through it just fine. Hello, Ryder, Donnie. Donnie, hello, Ryder. Noah, what happened to your skin? Where? Where on the body? Where in the country? <laughs> past weekend I was in Cape Cod for the Cape Cod Writers Conference um, and so Sunday before we returned uh, the day of sun you should the day have been of warned sun. I should have known <laughs> um, yeah we were on the beach hanging out with another agent and um, my friend Sam who drove in from just outside Boston and you know like yeah, at one point Sam goes like oh I'm getting all red and I was like haha like <laughs> you like noob what an amateur and i had like put on a bunch of sunscreen and like gotten some assistance on that too and i felt like i had all the bait like i had i you know i'd done what your mother tells you you're supposed to do hmm. and then like lucy got a little bit red and the other girl we were with got a little red and like i was still fine and like almost like i almost had a moment where i like looked down at my arms like sitting there in the in my sun lounger um that like oh i didn't get more color today like that's that's a shame and so then we like cleaned up and whatever and drove to the restaurant for dinner. And I was like, what is that horrible, horrible <laughs> sensation? Like in my, in my, my midsection, like what is, what is going on? And I like lifted up my shirt a little bit and like my son was like bright, like bright yeah. red. You missed a spot and, and the spot is your entire front. I woke up today thinking like, oh, it'll be, it'll be gone by morn. And, uh. <laughs> low it was not if anything it's it's more it's more maybe we could throw some pics up on the website for the super fans we'll see okay we'll see if our social media can handle that yeah all right we don't um, want to cause too much uh outrage well yeah i'd hate to go viral or whatever what did you, what did you do this weekend chance i uh nothing too exciting we went to the beach shout out to my friend micah who wanted to float the willamette river for uh, like a 10 mile span, which we were later informed by like a local would have taken three days. <laughs> so we we're going to meet That's him. At a, we're going to meet him at a beach and he just never showed up. And showed he, up on a Friday. We picked him up at the <laughs> other end on Monday and put him back in the car. <laughs> it would have been a lot like that. 
but that was okay. Mostly, uh, the only thing I want to plug is uh, I went and saw that Catherine Bigelow movie, Detroit, and wrote about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, up on I noticed website. that you wrote a piece about it on the website. I did. Um, I was clicking, I was showing someone the website today, and I like ended up reading your piece about uh, Detroit, which, you know, was great, of course. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I also, like, for a moment, I thought, like, you'd maybe recorded, like, a podcast by yourself or something. <laughs> There's, there are a few things funnier than, like, solo podcasts. Like, the, uh, the kind of person it would take to successfully do one is not the kind of person I am, that's for sure. <laughs> it'd be, like, the first, like, 200 episodes of Marin. Right. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so if you want to go read about uh, what I think of Detroit, which I feel like... I mean, it looks pretty good, bad, and no spoilers, but I think it kind of is. Okay, let's run. Let's get into today's category, shall we, buddy? Absolutely. Um, we're here to discuss three of the, let's say, primary anti-hero works of one Charlize Theron, um, and... It's all based on the new film Atomic Blonde. That's our that's our topical hook. But we went uh, back in time to do 2011's Young Adult and yeah. her Oscar-winning turn in 2003's Monster. Right, and that's a good yeah, that's a good place to start because like I didn't necessarily know we we started with the premise anti-heroes um, of Charlize Theron, but like having now seen all three of these movies, I think it's safe to say that like she plays a monster in all of them. Yeah, <laughs> right. I, I mean, is an anti-hero a villain that the piece of art is, like, with in its POV? Because that's what these are. Well, that's, yeah, that's a really interesting thing. Like, the your typical protagonist in all these movies is not the protagonist, is, the in fact, the antagonist. Mm-hmm. These are all framed very similarly. Yeah. And uh, unconventionally so. So, real quick, we've got a guest later in the show that will speak to the, the breadth and depth of... Charlize Theron as a as an on-screen performer but Noah how about us two minutes Charlize Theron what 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 do you think of when you think of her I mostly think of Charlize Theron um from her turn in Woody Allen's 2001 comedy (laughs) Curse of the Jade Scorpion as the socialite sex pot Laura Kensington that's what you first think of heir to the famed Kensington jewels Uh uh-huh it's a pretty interesting role. I mean, she just has like one scene to steal and she does, which mm-hmm. is sort of interesting. Um, and But yeah, where did you start with her, Chance? It might have been that thing you do. Mm-hmm. She, she plays I didn't remember the anti-Liv Tyler. Yeah, I didn't remember her in uh, that thing you do. I mean, it's a very small part. But yeah, it sort of speaks to her ability to do that. Um, I mean, young adult will do this, but she looks like she could be one of the most beautiful people like walking our planet. Um, but she has this ability to, um, get inside the superficiality of such a person and really tinker with it. And then there's just something about her too, her being South African and not learning English till she was a teenager. It always sort of seems to me like she's this, like kind of a person inside a person when I see her roles, like there's something underneath the sort of like beautiful, um, very manicured exterior that might just like jump out and kill some of the characters. And often it does. I chose this life. And someday it's going to get me killed. 
not today. Lorraine Broughton, expert in intelligence collection and hand-to-hand combat. Okay, so let's get our movie talk started with uh, Atomic Blonde, which just came out about a week ago. You down? I would love nothing more. Okay, it's the new film from David Leitch, who's a longtime stunt coordinator and and co-directed John Wick. Uh, This movie is set in 1989 in Berlin, just as the wall is coming down. In the days before the wall comes down. Um, it's in the air. You can taste it. The wall's coming down. Yeah, the movie says that so many times. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so it's based on a graphic novel. Uh, it's called Coldest Winter. Um, and then we follow Lorraine Broughton. That's the Charlize character who's an MI6 agent who has to go to B- Berlin to collect the body of another MI6 agent who we see has been killed. We also see that she was involved with this person vaguely um, at some point. In the chronology of the movie, she hit, she hits the ground and, and sort of realizes that, like, between MI6 and the Stasi and the KGB, that this is really not a safe place and you really can't trust anyone. And we know that you can't trust anyone because the movie is sort of framed in this debrief that she has with Toby Jones and John Goodman, uh, where she she's gotten back to London. Um, and we see in this very striking scene of her, like, soaking in a bathtub of ice but it like looks like it's full of eggs uh, and it's kind of lit in this neon way that like she has been beat to shit. Um, and then this, the movie unfolds as she shares the story of the, the chaos in Berlin with the, uh, with her higher ups. I think that's fair. Yeah. And then what unfolds is uh, a tale of intrigue, yes, a noir, um, somewhere between John le Carre and like, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's really funny that you say that. Because, like, the movie also can't figure out um, whether, which it's more inspired by in terms of, like, the highbrow and the lowbrow. It's a real, like, stew of, uh, of high and low, of elegant and trash. That's the, yeah, and that's where the movie maybe stumbles a little bit in its, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of, amazed by its own like <laughs> setup like it, yeah. on the political side yep but then like you kind of forgive it for being so sort of self-important because of like the really well done action sequences but ultimately i think the movie not to spoil it but the movie for me like it was chugging along pretty good and then the ending for me was just like no okay okay uh should we talk a little more and then get into that? Let's do it. But okay. like, that's my, I think, but I think it's getting to your point though, that the ending tries to end like a Le, Le Carre novel. Yeah. But like most of the movie is, is like, you know what they're calling it. It's Jane Wick. Right. It's a really well done, like atmospheric sort of, you know, slick action movie. That's right. unputdownable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, I felt like it's kind of like a silly mess of a movie, but I felt pretty much safe in Charlize Theron's hands the entire time. I didn't sure. need to understand everything because, like, you get her. She's a killing machine. Right. And what I think is interesting about her character, too, as well as the performance there, is there's that funny line where she's talking to, um, what's the name of that actress who plays the, the new mummy? Sophia Butella. So there's an interesting exchange where 
they're talking, they're like, they're post coitus, if you will. Mm-hmm. And they have like a moment of almost intimacy. And then Charlize Theron says like, you know, I shouldn't be this emotional. It'll get me killed. And I think like the movie itself, like almost lives by that ethos. Like if it, if it deconstructs itself too much to be like, you like want them to be together or something or like a love story emerges, then the movie by its own merits has failed. And Lorraine is pretty simple other than that kind of vulnerable moment. Cause she has to be cause her vocation sort of requires it. Uh, you, you know, who really succeeds though, not to jump away from Shirley too fast. James McAvoy succeeds in the chaos. <sighs> Don't you think? I think he succeeds in the chaos, but like, frankly, I'm a little tired of seeing James McAvoy, like having fun in chaos. Chaos is a ladder for him, though. Uh, I just wanted there to be someone like a little bit more against type there. Okay. I don't know. Like you needed more of a, you needed more of like a straight person. And I feel like their chemistry like didn't quite work for me. Like I wanted something more. I wanted him to be like the Brendan Gleeson to her Colin Farrell in like in Bruges kind of thing. Okay. And what happens is that like they're almost in like two separate movies because then you find out later that they're almost in two separate narratives. Yeah. Which like, I don't know. I don't know that the movie is at its best when they're both in the same frame. Sure. Well, the movie's at its best when Charlie is in a, nondescript manner in the frame fighting for minutes at a time right like those are you should we talk about the fight scenes because i mean that's the that's the main attraction here they're they're, i mean they're unbelievable everybody's talking about the long take one right that goes on for 10 minutes like down a stairwell into an apartment out onto the street uh and it's just like one of the most brutal uh fight scenes i can remember in a movie in fact the thing i i don't think i've ever seen the thing where like the two combatants have like so thoroughly kicked the shit out of each other that like the camera's just hanging move. there and they can't yeah. move. It's like it's just it's like a uh, Well you find yourself like it's like watching bo- like a boxing match or something. Yeah. Like it's not just cutting to the most interesting parts. It's showing you the whole thing and like making that dramatic. Yeah. And the point at which like one of them's about to tap out and in this I mean in this case it would be like who's just going to fucking end this person? Yeah. Like, someone's got to get that little bit of energy to just, like, you know, put their head through a door or something. Which is so cool in this, like, visual bit of, like, filmic boasting, right? Uh, yeah. To suddenly, like, have this, like, oh, my God, like, brutality of real fighting. You could even call, like, almost like the uh, the erotic love scene, uh, so almost like a, an action sequence, too. Feels very blocked to me. Yeah, but, like, blocked in, like, a ni- like a fun way. Sure. Like a it's like a dance. They're doing like a almost like a dance. Yeah, it's sort of interesting. That's what I liked about this the movie a lot. It felt like like seeing someone do like an interpretive dance of some kind. So you want, let's talk about the end. What bothered you so much about the uh, the flourish? I would have. I think I would have given this movie like if it had ended with her being like, you know, the moral of the story or whatever. It was like, you know, sometimes things get shoved under the rug when it comes to like cold war stuff. And like, that would have been it. And they walked out of the interrogation room and like, you know, Finn, you know, a film by whoever, but instead they like do this other 10 minute action sequence of like her actually being a double agent. And then they get to the part where it's like her being a triple agent. Mm -hmm. 
And it's like, that's not what I wanted. Yeah. Like you already, she, she survived the thing. Like he, he was the bad guy and like, everything's fine. Sure. Go home. Yeah. It might not be a smart enough movie to like bite off those extra codas. Well, that's what I was saying earlier is that like the fact that she was like serially working for someone else, but actually working for someone in totally entirely different. Like, the movie doesn't justify that, like, with how, like, clever the script is. Right. Which is to say that it's not. Right. That's the Le Carre part that's not working. Right. Jane So Wick. I think ultimately, yeah. yeah, that's the thing. Like, just make it a simple, like, she needs to get this guy from one side to the other, you know? And either she does or she doesn't. Yeah, there's just, like, too many like it, it's not like a smart movie because it like leaves that loose end that like we knew was a loose end and then there was just like more carnage that wasn't as good as the last carnage right can we tell people how we rate movies on this podcast i would love nothing more than that all movies and most of life can be described with our rating system the four categories are good good bad bad good bad and bad good the first good or bad refers to intellectual quality. The second is pure pleasure. Good good is easy. Things that make you feel smart and happy, and that for both reasons you'd want to do again. Like watching The Departed or Jaws or calling your pal to do a podcast with him. Good good movies make Noah say, Love that. Bad bad is easy too. Things that bring you neither stimulation nor joy. Basically, you just wasted your time. Things like watching White Chicks or Wild Wild Wests, a conceptual double album of Christian pop punk. Bad, bad movies make Chance say things like, I hated that. Good, bad, then, is something you recognize as worthwhile, but not something you enjoy. Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, most classical music, eating your goddamn vegetables. Good, bad is about being an adult, and these kinds of movies make Noah say, I mean, I'm glad I saw it once, but never again. Conversely, bad good is for your thoughtless inner child. It's Cheetos. It's late career Billy Joel. It's movies like Christmas Vacation. Honey? Kids? And Deep Blue Sea. Bad good movies make chance say, But it failed in such an entertaining way. Got all that? Now buckle up, because you're about to hear an opinion stated as fact. I know what you're saying, and I think... I'm with you, and I believe this movie, which honestly, I think this movie is as enjoyable uh, as any of the Daniel Craig Bond movies. It's basically a Lady Bond movie, um, and I think it's a bad good. I think it's closer to, like, a Lady Triple X than it is to, <laughs> like, a Lady Bond movie, frankly, which yeah. is not to say that that's, like, a negative thing. Because um, you love Triple X. I kind of do, actually. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but I like seeing, you know, movies set against our old adversary, the Russians, <laughs> playing another dangerous game. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. I like I enjoyed even when I like didn't like like aesthetically the end. I still enjoyed every moment of this film. So it's definitely a good or a bad good from me. Nice. Well, now that we've weighed in on Atomic Blonde, let's go back into the filmography of Charlize Theron with uh, a Portlander and uh, a fellow, yeah, a fellow Portland film critic who uh, recently put together a list for Pace Magazine about his favorite of her performances. Let's go to that guest interview right now. 
clock is ticking, and everyone you get close to ends up dead. Someone set me up. Someone from the inside. Now, this only ends one way. A bullet. So our guest today is a film critic based here in Portland, like me. You can find his work at uh, The Playlist, uh, Paste Movies, uh, DVD Talk, and you can hear him hosting the Over Under Movies podcast uh, about monthly or so with Ryan Oliver over at The Playlist podcast network. He also writes film reviews in Turkish for a very popular Turkish film website. Oktay Ege Kozak, welcome to the show. Wow, thank you for having me. This is cool. Thank you for having me in your basement. Yeah, yeah, we're my, your, we're my <laughs> your posters and your Blu-rays. Yeah, we're in my like man cave right now, but it's like a movie nerd man cave. So I have a, a projector system with the uh, surround sound and yeah. a bunch of uh, Blu-rays and movie posters and stuff. So it's a it's a nerd cave. When two freelance film critics get together, get together to do a podcast, this feels like. Uh, this feels like the right space to me. Oh yeah, it's a it's a good like spiritual spot to <laughs> yeah, to I'm do this that. for sure. You're that. surrounded by movies and posters and stuff. So uh, we are gathered to talk about uh, Charlize Theron. You recently wrote for uh, for Paste about your f- uh, mm-hmm. your favorite ten or her ten best performances. Mm-hmm. In your yeah, opinion. like a top ten uh, Charlize Theron performances list, which you can pi- find on uh, Paste magazine. Um, uh, on the on the movies list section, I think it's still on the uh, the main movies um, page, so you can check it out there. And yeah, I've been um, I've been a big fan of her for a long time. My wife knows this already, but um, yeah, I've had a like big crush on her ever since I saw Devil's Advocate in '97. This is not hard to believe. That's like yeah, yeah, it was uh, like 20 years ago. Like people didn't look, like didn't even know what her uh, name was, and then. Right. Um, you know, she was, of course, I was just like smitten immediately because she's incredibly gorgeous. But then at the same time, I was like, she's kind of like a really young actress giving this like really intense, complex role. And yeah, that, how old was she in 97? I think she was, she's born in 75, which um, a little like bit, 22. I feel, I feel kind of like a creepy stalkerish vibe, but just because I know that off, like just off the top <laughs> of my head. Uh, like the exact, I don't know her exact birthday, thank God, but sure, I know yeah. that she was born in uh, South Africa. And, um, so she was, you know, if that movie was shot in 96, she was 21. Right. So that's a really complex and that's a that's a big heavy burden to put on uh, uh, an actress, especially one who's like relatively inexperienced at the time because she only had about like maybe two or three roles to her name since mm-hmm. she moved from uh, being a model to being an actress. I was a freshman at film school then in 97 and uh, my my friends from film school back all the way back in Istanbul can attest to this uh, in a pretty kind of angry way because um, I used to, I just started after that movie, I just started dragging them to every movie uh, that she just appeared in, including that like really crappy, um, not crappy, but like completely forgettable Mighty Joe Young remake with oh, yeah. uh, Bill Paxton. I don't know if you guys <laughs> sure. have ever seen that. or I mean, I d- that didn't make it into my top ten list because I can't even remember what her role was in that. It was just like, so, like, inconsequential. I but sort I, of like a Jane Goodall. Yeah, like that that kind of a role. But she was basically, like, the um, that typical, like, main squeeze of the yeah. uh, 20-year-old, 20 years older than her protagonist. Uh-huh. Like... So yeah, I would drag like, and these are like freshman 
like artsy fartsy film school friends who are just like <laughs> who are just starting to like get into like Fellini and Tar- you know yeah. uh, Tarkovsky and stuff like that and I'm just like let's go see this dumb ape movie because yeah. this girl I, this actress I have a crush on is in it she was still giving her all she was still giving like good performances but she was in I have to admit she was in some pretty crappy movies around that time so I could fully uh, relate to my friends being like okay man we're not like supporting <laughs> yeah. your weird little charlie's theron uh, sure. thing anymore um which you know it's kind of and then when, when monster came out i was doing my um uh, masters in san francisco so i didn't have the same friends anymore but i was like oh man at least like i could have redeemed myself mm-hmm. if monster came out a little <laughs> bit earlier right. and i'd be like look she's in this great movie she's yeah. in a great performance like my, i would have been vindicated Okay, so you start the the list by pointing out, I mean, obviously how she's incredibly versatile. She's a re- really gifted actor. I think anyone would agree. Yeah. Do you have like sort of a an overarching theory of what makes her unique? Because really nobody like her. Yeah, it's the and it's it's the bravery of her versatility. I would say is what makes her unique. She is versatile, but she's also very brave in the roles that she takes. I mean, uh, now you look at her. She's. Um, She's 42, and if you watch that like single take um, fight scene in Atomic Blonde, it's it's insane. Like the physical the requirements that it would take, the athleticism and the bravery. Like you see her like tumble downstairs and mm-hmm. crap like that, and just it's it's insane how much like how much of herself she puts in there, and it's the it's kind of the same bravery that made Monster so special because you know the cliche of like oh so and so disappears in the role is is just it's one of those like handfuls of situations where that's actually you can say that and not come out as like kind of a hack uh because that's actually what happens when you watch her performance in that she just you you can't see a trace of yeah that that elegant kind of charismatic Charlize Theron the movie star and it's just like she just becomes that person especially if you watch Monster with the uh, Eileen Warner's documentary like if you watch them back to back it's mm. it's uncanny how much she is like her I wonder do you think that she's just maybe particularly good at knowing what is in a script like the subtext of a script because I mean I think about that there are so many ways in which like you look at the outside of Monster and be like, could that be pretty exploitative? Like, if that's not done well, is that going to be like pretty uncomfortable and exploitative? But then you watch it and she, the the way she understands how hard it is for Eileen to connect with anyone because of what she's been through and then what it's like for her to do that with the Christina Ricci character. She She's able to bring a lot of stuff underneath, like up to the surface. Yeah, em- empathy is, is incredibly important when putting together a, a project like that. Um, and that's why I think a lot of movies about real-life serial killers or real-life psychopaths uh, kind of crash and burn because it's an incredibly risky um, endeavor. Mm-hmm. You have to find this really, really thin um, middle ground between being exploitative. So you're, you're just exploiting the situation for entertainment value, right. which is like you're talking about a real story where real people got killed and hurt. and uh, But you don't also want to turn it into too much of a sympathetic uh, depiction of right. the of the character you don't want to so, you don't want it to be like oh they're they're kind of taking the killer's side or a high wire act yes yeah, sure. it's, it's it's a real high wire act and she pulls it off amazingly because she understands that um <clears throat> that first of all what she what she did was she understand that she understands that what she did was horrifying and that's that goes with patty jenkins as well mm-hmm. they were kind of on the same page there where 
they completely understand that what she did was horrifying, but they really did their research and they really dug deep into like what made her do these things. What do you think? What do you think of her acting an atomic blonde in the uh, in the fight scenes? Especially, I mean, people are referring to that the long take mm-hmm. as sort of like its own its own name now. It's the yeah, long take. Fight. It just goes to this like intense dedication that uh, like the professionalism that it's like maybe she looks at the role and she's like well this is what's required of me Mm -hmm. and then just goes and trains pretty much non-stop she doesn't really have a lot of maybe aeon flocks where she was kind of asked to do stuff like that but even Mm in action movies that she's in let's say like the italian job or something she doesn't really like do a lot of ass kicking and you know she's kind of like side characters in those films and um so you don't really see that a lot in her and for her to come out and just basically come across as if she's been a bona fide action star for the last 20 years or something (laughs) and this is just another movie in her resume like as if she's been as if she's been jason statham for the last 20 years uh and she just like catches up to that with just one movie role i think that just comes out to like just dedication I have uh, some lightning round Charlie's questions for All you. Right. Are you down? Yeah, sure. All right. Um, what is the most you think she's elevated a not very good movie? Snow Might and the Huntsman, probably, because yeah. she made it, that movie halfway watchable, which is as much as much as I can say about it. And then there's like... Um, is, there, is she in the sequel too? Yeah, I didn't even bother watching uh, that. What's the most you think she's ever, ever elevated a co-star? Like, who do you think she's made look the best by virtue of being there with them? Oh, man. I think uh, in the Valley of Ayla, she, I think... Oh, yeah. Tom Lee Jones a little bit of sleep at the, like, at the wheel in that movie, and she, like, really... It has been for some whenever, time. <laughs> yeah. Whenever she shows up in that movie, she has a pretty small role, but whenever she shows up in that movie, she really elevates the material. Mm. I'm really glad that Rita from season three of Arrest Development made your list. Oh, yeah. What, do, what is your favorite like part of that performance? It's because she really, <laughs> it, she really plays around with the idea of like, even though she's not British, she really plays around with the idea, uh, that stereotype of like, uh, even a stupid British person sounds intelligent <laughs> to Americans, uh-huh. uh, but just because of the accent and the sure. way they like carry themselves. And like, that's the whole joke of that character, basically. It's because she has this like kind of cutesy British accent. Right. Uh, Michael Bluth can't see that she's like mentally challenged and has the mind of like a five-year-old or something right that she's in class with the kindergartners not their teacher but during the entire during the entire role even though like you get the twist at the end of that what is like a four episode or five episode uh section of that season uh you get the big twist at the end but like during the whole run of her like guest starring role of course you get all these hints Mm -hmm. and stuff about like you know just these clear hints like you start you you figure it out very early on but even then you kind of start thinking about like, man, is I wonder if there's any way to like make that work, like, uh-huh. <laughs> but like, you know, but but she's still playing a character who's right. like the mind of a five year old, yeah. you know. So it's it's that goes to her strengths as a as an actress. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to run this theory by you as part of the lightning round. I don't think there's anyone quite like Charlize, but is there an alternate universe where? If Charlize doesn't exist, could Angelina Jolie do any of these recent Charlize parts? Can you no. see that? No. No, no, no. Why not? Uh, I think, I mean, me personally, I think she's very overrated. Uh, she's a 
she's actually a pretty bad director as well. <laughs> right. Uh, but but she she just has the the sultry uh, movie star part down the way that, for example, um, actually actually for example, like I think Marion Cotillard would be like a good um, one to bring up in that Charlie's kind of a comp? question. Yeah. Okay. I mean, because she has that movie star quality, but she also you know like grace and quality, but she also sure. has that like range. As yeah, well. maybe I just think about Jolie for the the physicality comparison. The physicality, she could definitely pull that off, uh, as far as that is concerned. But apart from that, I don't, I don't, I've never seen much uh, in her. Uh, I think she's a little bit kind of disconnected. Sure. With the rest of the world. Withdrawn from. The, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I think Charlize has that has that connection still with the with the rest of the world, and like if she gets a role, like she like really looks into like how. You know, uh, and I think I think Angelina Jolie is more like like a like a Elizabeth Taylor figure or something like mm. bona fide movie star, glamorous and all yeah. that stuff. But like over years, just like more and more far gone from like yeah. regular life. Yeah, I guess I can't now. Now that you're saying it, there are there's no Angelina Jolie movie where like she put it on her back and carried it to the finish line. And there are like a few. Yeah, and that includes the movie like she directed as well. Right. <laughs> If you were going to recommend one Charlize movie that's kind of a deep cut, you think maybe people haven't seen or uh, haven't seen in a while, what would you what would you toss out? Uh, North Country. Yeah, that uh, one was on your list. The one uh, where uh, Nikki Caro, the, uh, the director of Whale Rider, mm-hmm. uh, made that came around the time when it looked like she was about to succumb to that Oscar curse. Like right after winning Monster, like she had that disastrous like Aeon Flux, which that like, kind of had was like a really problematic production like it flopped and then uh even though north country kind of flopped as well it was just like her attempt at like okay i need to like get back into these types of role like these types of material that i'm good at and um it's not a great movie uh but it's it's it definitely didn't deserve the kind of to kind of be left in the because it's not it's not the kind of like it's it's one of those like little guy fighting against the big guy type of movies where it's like like you know Aaron Brockovich is civil action yep. the verdict like you have hundreds of those movies where it's like they take him to court and they're just like they have a grievance and stuff like that but it, it, this one had has like a an interesting twist to it where it's about like the first um it was the first major sexual harassment case which is uh an issue that's like really still on the forefront of of uh society's discussions these days yeah. Uh, last one. What would you? I mean, she's been uh, on an ass-kicking streak lately, and and uh, what would you like to see her do next? Would you like to see Atomic Blonde too, or would you like to see her maybe remind everybody that she could be the North Country Charlize? I would. I really like the character in Atomic Blonde. I would love to see her in a movie where the script is tighter and better. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's definitely. I'm. Mean, I hope it's like it has one of those like. Uh, like things where just like the second movie like gets it right mm. i feel like hopefully uh you know like that character is interesting of course a lot of the twists behind the character has been kind of revealed on the first movie so i don't know what they're what they would do from that but i would yeah i would love to see her go into her like 50s and 60s as like a action star and i think that should happen her and keanu reeves definitely have that like presence yeah. uh i hope they don't do a, a genre crossover though which would be kind of weird yeah well there were were talks about that i thought that i feel like the 
comparing the action in those two movies like makes sense to me, but the but they're they're really different, right? They're very different. John films. Wick is like the least convoluted movie ever devised. Yeah, in which Atomic Blonde should have been kind of like that too. That's, yeah, that's my major problem with that movie. It thinks it's like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy when yeah. it's actually like a John Wick style dumb action movie yeah. like why make the script so convoluted it thinks it isn't dumb but it is kind of dumb it is it's it is dumb and it's like it's it, the tone doesn't fit you know right. like the John Wick is like they kill his puppy he goes after them he kills everybody that's right. it and you needed something like that with a time plot even in that kind of like spy movie setting you mm-hmm. could have made something incredibly simplistic right. um, which is the simple MacGuffin she just goes through a bunch of bad guys to get it. That's it. Sure. You know. Yeah. I, which I hope if they make a sequel, it's going to be something like that. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, okay. Thanks so much for your time, man. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. Of course. It. it was of fun. Course. Oh, my God. I think I love you. That's too bad. So what next, buddy? Young adult or monster? Um... Let's do Young Adult and end with Monster. Okay. So we're going to go now to 2011's Young Adult, directed by Jason Reitman, written by Diablo Cody. Uh, no, you want to synopsize this one? Why a ghost writer... Uh, Mavis. Mavis Gary gets a note that her high school sweetheart is having a baby with mm-hmm. his wife. And she like has an existential crisis about that and decides to return home to ruin the marriage and get back her high school football boyfriend. Yep. Who's now in a perfectly happy, contense marriage with perfectly fine other, a perfectly fine partner. And they like have this life together that like, while sort of boring is not like bad. No. And by return, you mean from her uh, high rise in Minneapolis to her hometown of Mercury, Minnesota. But she's living, yeah, she's living like very much, I mean, the title's sort of like pretty on the nose. It thinks it's cute, but it's also like, anyway. But the it's she's sort of living like a 20-something with too much money. She's living like a 20-something with the money of a 30-something. Mm-hmm. And then she goes back and it's these 30-somethings living like 40-somethings. And it's like almost a generation gap movie where Charlize is trying to like reconnect with the people that she like grew up with and like rekindle this like celebrity and like whatever she once had in her small town being a popular girl. But on the other hand, sort of trying to like destroy what like they have built without her. Right. And here's the deal. Buddy Slade and I are meant to be together, and I'm here to get him back. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's married with a kid on the way. No, kid's here. I'm cool with it. I mean, I've got baggage, too. I would keep all of this to yourself. I would I would find a therapist. <laughs> that new baby of his is just darling. Have you seen it? Up close? That's the thing. It's this woman is very... She has two emotions, uh, hunger and envy. There you go. Well, this one's just like desperate need to get drunk and envy. Yep. Yeah. Um, and along the way, she meets Patton Oswalt, uh, who's like a townie. Yep. And they sort of reconnect and realize that they're sort of living in a similar, you know, high school adjacent existence. Sure. 
my log line is that I could only watch in horror as what I thought was in the land of women turned into Nightcrawler. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what it's like to watch this movie. Well, that's the thing. I kind of like both In the Land of Women and Nightcrawler. Right, I know. So I was almost... The the movie's turn was sort of... It was sort of interesting to me in a way that, like, I was growing bored with, like, the flimsy premise of, like, I hate this town, but this is where I'm from kind of thing. Yeah. And then it just got into a weird, like, is this person, like, a psychopath? Yeah. why is she still like she's got an alcohol abuse problem right and as far as a charlie's performance i think this one is incredible like i really think she's great in this movie uh in that sort of in that way that i talked about where you look at her and she's very good at playing somebody who might have sociopathic tendencies because she just seems like she could be capable of anything. There's this horrifying scene at the baby shower, absolutely horrifying where she kind of goes off and as embarrassing and hard to watch as that scene is for me, the feeling of dread is like that she could act out in any way. Yeah. She so embodies this, this idea of this woman who if she's, like, pretty enough, she'll just, like, get whatever she wants. Right. Or at least that's how she believes the world. Like, if she sort of, like, endears herself in a way that, like, men find appealing, she'll be just fine. hmm And, which is, like, sort of similar to Monster in a weird way. Yeah. Uh, and also kind of similar to Atomic Blonde, thinking of it. In that way as well. That's what I mean, but, though. Like, she has that beautiful person thing that she, like, gets inside that superficiality and starts, like, touching all the buttons in a creepy way. Well, that's her thing. It's like, I'm pretty. Don't fuck with me. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I think the inherent flaw in this movie is that the direction is totally unsympathetic to, like, her life. Mm-hmm. Like, you just follow her around as she, like, does shitty things to people who, like, really don't need that today. So you didn't find yourself rooting for her. No, I like watched it in horror, like, like the bookstore scene, like everything's a microcosm for this one thing of like her fucking with people for no reason. Yeah. Like just to assert her, like whatever, like she has that running gag with the, um, first it's the hotel receptionist, you know, where she like fucks with her with the credit or with the, the dog thing. Yeah. You know, and then the donut at the ends and then the bookstore guy and then Patrick Wilson, too, where she's like coming into his life and like he's a stressed out dad. Like they just had a baby and like the wife's like in a band and like, you know, like they have things going on. He's like he's got a full plate and she just comes in and tries to like fuck it up. Yeah. And we are watching is these weird moments of like social graces chicken mm-hmm. that she's not going to lose. Yeah. At the same time, though, I feel like as that character unfurls, there is, I don't know, there's a deeper sense of observation there for me. What I like so much about the the Yang to Mavis is that, like, Patrick Wilson is kind of like, oh, well, sure, yeah, it'd be better to eat at six. He's like, you know, the Fargo yeah. character. Uh, but you can feel that, like, at some point, this man is going to to stand up and be like, what are you doing? I'm not letting you destroy the life I've created. And that moment's going to be fireworks. God. And then like, I think the most interesting play with characters is it's towards the end. It's at the, 
the baby shower scene um, where Charlize Theron looks for sympathy from uh, Patrick Wilson's mother. Oh. Which was such an interesting moment of like taking someone who was just like being nice to you 10 years ago because you were her her son's girlfriend. Yeah. And like mistaking that for like actual affection. Oh. It's so mm. It's I think there's a lot of there's a lot of like sort of on the nose like this kind of movie problems with this movie, but I think it yeah. also has just a lot of smart undertones going on. Just like this very idea of like you know, Hollywood being filled with these people who like came from these sort of like towns that they despised, but like the inherent kind of narcissism of like the like, I'm better than that. I'm better than that. And like, if you just take that like a little too far, like then you're, then you're Mavis. Right. Well, it's that idea too of like, you know, I hate coming from this place, but if I return, I am the king of it. Right. It's, um, you know what it reminded me of was, uh, like late, uh, late series Sunny, uh, where they go back to the high school reunion and Dennis is like, I'm a golden god. And they're like, yeah, nobody liked you, Dennis. Like you just walked around saying you were a golden god and we were your minions and no one would hang out with you. <laughs> That's what this is like. It's just like, yeah. oh God, every, nobody, lo- I like, I don't want to be the, like the talk of this town, but it's like, nobody's looking at you, you weirdo. Yeah. It's sort of like that. It's sort of a feel of, um, like a gross point blank or something in that way. Yeah. Although I do think well, that's kind of the thing it's deconstructing a little bit. Yeah. But at the same time. Gross point blank's far more enjoyable. Is that, that's it. Okay. <laughs> this movie like needs to be more like bad good than it is. Sure. If it's going to, like, be a good... If it's going to be a... Like, it needs to be more watchable than it is, like, good. But it trades, like, actual deconstruction of a human being's... And, like, it it just deconstructs, like, small-town narcissism. Yeah. Instead of, like, being an interesting movie about characters going through things that are fun to watch. Sure. And on the one hand, I really appreciate that. I mean, I was thinking... You know, there's the, the... Just, like, the genre of kind of, like, indie... Um like a person find artists finding themselves kind of movies. These really like lightweight 90 minute movies where like they put too much emphasis on the soundtrack and stuff. And you're always like, yeah, that was like a B or B plus movie. All right, whatever. But it was like, it was lightweight. My fa- you're talking about my favorite kind of movies. Yeah. But it was lightweight. This movie or somehow. Someone has to go back to his small town after he writes a novel and deal with the fallout or something. Yeah. I think because of the Charlize performance, this one manages to somehow be in that genre but like have some heft, but then I don't think, I don't know if I would ever watch this movie again. Certainly not. <laughs> uh huh. Certainly not would I watch this movie again. Um, yeah, I think this movie is frankly like, it's in the same ballpark, like an emotional damage as monster. It's pretty comparable. You could definitely write a lot of, you could do some writing about how it's really similar. Yeah, it's it's basically like a a more privileged version of Monster. Sure. So, I have a I think a surprising appreciation for this movie that lands it in the realm of good bad. Yeah, I'm with I'm at good bad with you. It's something like worth watching once, and I'll like. I mean, it's one of those movies that's like probably permanently scarred on my brain. Because um, I don't think you've ever seen an actor 
destroy a, a movie like this of this genre before the way Charlize does. Sure. Should we get on to uh, the Oscar winner, 2003's Monster? Absolutely. You want to do the uh, the summary, the synopsis? Sure. Uh, so this movie came out in 03. It is the only other film besides Wonder Woman directed by Patty Jenkins. Um, Basically the same movie, though, if we're being honest. <laughs> okay, now. Um, it's about uh, Eileen Warnos, a serial killer in Florida who uh, was a prostitute who, who murdered... Uh, I think seven people, seven men over the course of a year. I think in, in the movie kind of posits more though. Yeah, I got the sense from the movie that like the character in this movie, like maybe had killed more people. Sure, like she was convicted for seven murders, but yeah, but they might still be finding people in the marshes and such. They didn't find like two of the people that she was convicted of killing. They didn't find the bodies. That's the approach: is you have this sort of like here's this horrifying person who was executed, by the way, before the movie came out. I think that's probably why she was in the headlines at the time. Um, Mm -hmm. And the movie kind of looks at her in this very, I'm going to say, deft character study where it's wondering, like, well, who created the titular monster? Is it nature or nurture? And, of course, the answer is that they seeped into each other into like this horrifying cocktail of like a person who has borderline personality disorder and a person who has, you know, been a prostitute since she was like a teenager and was sexually abused many times and like has completely been failed by the social welfare system. Um, But also is like a vindictive evil murderer. That's the constant dance of the movie. And of course, Charlize, as you know, is uh, completely unrecognizable. Um, in her makeup and without eyebrows and with fake teeth. But we're kind of led along into the movie, into meeting her by this, uh, this character Selby based on Eileen's real life girlfriend and Selby's played by Christina Ritchie. She's like, uh, like an 18 year old, uh, who is gay and her dad's a pastor, but she's like staying with friends in Florida and she really doesn't want to go back and try to be like saved by her dad. And so she kind of like falls in and is attracted to Eileen and whether Eileen is attracted to her is sort of like up for discussion. Uh, But Eileen really could just stand to be with anyone who's not going to torture and exploit her. Hey, lady love, you need a ride? Can I ask you a question? Are you a prostitute? Hey man, don't go too far. I just want a little privacy. 30 straight up. You girls, you know, I love them and I hate them. Where'd you get this car? I just borrowed it. Life is funny. It's also strange how things can be so different than you think. Are you okay? I got everything going for me. I'm not a bad person. I'm a real good person. Police urge anyone with any information about these crimes to contact your local authorities. It is a tough movie. As, as anyone could tell, even from looking at the poster. I remember seeing the poster in videos, or like the cover in video stores and being like, that's a good, bad movie. And my mom was like, you're 12. What are you talking about? And I was like, I just feel I'll like... I'll be back for you, mom, years. in a podcast years from now. <laughs> I'm going to think that's a good, bad movie. Uh, no, you're totally right. And yeah. I've like regarded it in my mind as like, that's probably a good movie. It won like some Oscars or whatever, but like I've never seen it and it looks like pretty good, bad. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I mean, not to 
cut too much to the quick, but are we wrong? It is pretty good yeah. bad. <laughs> it's about as good bad as they come. It is about as good bad as they come. It is a haunting, like horrifying portrayal of a descent into madness and the the emotion one's feel one feels when one has gotten a taste for blood. Yeah, that you can appreciate. Um, yeah. But that is difficult. Well, I think how this movie is interesting because, like, in other movies where her job is, like, a YA novel ghostwriter um, or her job is a secret agent, in this movie, her job is, like, luring men to their death yeah. to make $30. Right. You know, it's, it's something totally insane. Um, and, like, society doesn't... It's, it's almost like the same character, except for society, like, doesn't accept her in any fashion. Right. Yeah, she's really, like, fallen through the cracks in this kind of horrifying... Well, you know what it reminded me of, and not even with the, like, sex worker thing, was that movie Tangerine. Just, like, not enough movies show you, like, what it is like to be like, well, I have zero money. I literally cannot feed myself or lay my head anywhere until I do something. And that kind of desperation is palpable in this movie. In a very sad and sobering and bad, or good-bad sort of way. Right. This movie, like, doesn't have a lot of joy. No. It's, in fact, nothing like Wonder Woman now that I really think about it. (laughs) Yeah, one must look further to see the ways in which it's not like Wonder Woman. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the smartest character things it does is show you... There are a couple musical moments, which are also, I think, Jenkins' sort of finest directing moments, like at the roller rink with Don't Stop Believin', pre-Glee Don't Stop Believin', when the song still had some some guts to it. and then the I can't I can't live in a in a, a history where like Journey ever had some guts to it. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was a working class anthem though. You know what I'm saying? Um, Continue. Okay. And then the Crimson and Clover scene where they finally connect. That's a great scene. Which is, I have a lot of respect for Crimson and Clover. You you see, I mean, you've seen what a horrible life this person has and how difficult it is for her to connect. And for these two people to come together, they have to kind of under the umbrella of of a dream, of a music cue, and of fantasy, because there are no simple pleasures in their life. Right. And this movie, this movie also like portrays like South Florida as just like a phantasmagoria of like just like poverty and like just day-to-day living which i would compliment it for i mean because yeah certainly i really like that sort of that unmythical south you know like the not like true detective season one south that just like it's hot and it's full of fucking highways that kind of like early kelly reichert florida Ugh. yeah yeah nice tough um it's almost a little bit like there were moments, and I'm glad it wasn't as indulgent as this, but it reminded me a bit of Spring Breakers. Oh, yeah? You know, the sort of like, what well, has that sort of voiceover that's, it's, it's more, it's like a repeating mantra of like, you know, things always work out in the end and like, look for the silver lining. And it's like very like, you know, uh, cute sort of sentimental aphorisms or whatever. Yeah. 
which is sort of reminded me of Spring Breakers in that like spring break, spring this like young person's mantra of like just go with it. It's spring break. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so how about Charlize? Scary as scary as hell. Well, because she like the movie ends up being sort of these collections of chapters that lead from Charlize needing money to her almost like morally justifying murdering a man because she like almost like entraps him in like a moral, you know what I'm saying? She moral, she sort of traps him in, she wants him to commit crimes because she wants to feel like they're all the same thing as the first one that happens to her. The first person she murders, like it was actually like taking advantage of her and like, like abusing her violently. Yeah. Yeah. And she gets loose and she kills him. But then the other like six or seven guys that she kills, she's like trying to get them to like, commit crimes that she perceives so she feels justified in killing them. Yeah. You know, one, she does it like, oh, you had a gun in the car. Like, you know, you were going to do this to me, you know? And then the most haunting one at the end when the guy like, like just wants to help her. Like he even says like, we'll take you home with us. And like, you know, you can come to my house. My wife will be fine with it. We'll give you a warm bed and a shower and like some clothes. Like you just need help. Yeah. And like, she still like can't can't see the good in people. Right. Where does like the abuses of society stop and where does the choices she make like cuz that's the thing like she'll be put in sort of Aaron Brockovichy type situations where mm-hmm. like you know, she's like totally out of her depth and you feel kind of bad that she was like probably not given a great formal education and like no, you know, chance to go to college, of course. And then, like, where Aaron Brockovich, like, sort of stands up and is just like, you know what? I've learned on the streets what I could not get in school, and here's how I'm useful to you. You know, this character just turns back at the guy and goes, well, fuck you too, man. Yeah. And, like, isn't learning from her – because I think that's the difference between, like, is this nature versus nurture? Like, if it's nature, like, okay, a certain set of circumstances this character's in, but nurture – it's almost like she was she was never never lear- like learned how to learn. Right. She doesn't learn from her mistakes. She like knows how to like read men's sexual desires or something. But other than that, she like can't have a conversation with someone. Right. Right. Yeah, and it's just it, it's I think it's an incredible Charlize performance because you've also I don't think ever seen her this high strung. In fact, it's quite the opposite and most of her iconic performances are oh she this is the exact opposite of like a you know a atomic blonde right a woman of few words who's just like with a sharp two-word wit like she's just going yeah a, a laconic femme fatale there you go um yeah but that's sort of like the flip of this coin right like the second she murdered that first guy she was fucked mm-hmm yeah because it was like she finally found this in in her own sick way like found like an outlet that she never had and then was just like oh well here i can also afford to live if i do this and also like i can or it turns out like one of the things it's one of the things she's good at is murdering people yeah and so like that becomes her her career her her vocation and it gives her purpose like, that's what she does. She goes out in every day and, like, provides for her lady. Mm-hmm. And, like, the way she does it is you're killing people. And, like, that, it's sick. 
anything else or can we rate this what we've always known it has been yeah i think if you haven't seen this movie you should but like i'm not gonna like the next time you come to new york or something i'd be like it's kind of a rainy day you want to go inside and watch <laughs> monster well the local theater here in brooklyn's doing a 35 millimeter run of monster yeah they have a yeah they have a midnight showing in 77 <laughs> Anyway, yeah, it's a clear good bad. I mean, also it's like sort of like we like we've been gesturing at the whole time. It's a character study, and so everything we've said has been related to our study as the viewers of the character. I mean, it's people will remember it for the performance. Like, it's also in the end, it's kind of like this movie's not totally sure like what it was doing there. The voiceover is kind of right. Like, That's the one thing that I thought this movie ended kind of easily. Yeah. It never had that moment where she's like covered in blood and like someone's like pointing a gun at her and it's like, you're an animal. Right. You know, it, and it, it need it almost needs it. I agree. To make it like closer to like a silence of the lambs or something. Right. Cause this is almost, it's somewhere between like realistic, hyper realistic indie drama and like horror. Right. Cause it's still a serial killer and you're watching him, her kill people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an under-the-skin milieu. Yeah, and I think that's why it's sort of destined to become a Charlize Theron footnote. And an amazing footnote, but, like, not a movie... Not a movie that we'll remember for any other reason. Yeah. I mean, I think right now Mad Max is probably her her tour de force. Agreed. Yeah, and to me, Atomic Blonde feels like kind of a Furiosa victory lap sort of a feminist icon action hero. Sure. But we'll see. I mean, Patty Jenkins certainly has a lot of cachet and I'm really, when you, when you watch this movie and think like, this is her first movie. And then you think like, how did she not get to make another feature length film for 14 years? It's nuts. So maybe this movie will garner some greater reputation going forward, but I don't know. Yeah. It's definitely a un- underappreciated film. I would say. Well, friend, We've come to the end of the uh, the Charlize pod. Yeah. Well, yeah. Fun actor. Fun actor-related pod. Next time, we're doing the mid-level police officers of uh, Bruce McGill. <laughs> <laughs> right. The ones you have to, like, stay back at the station and look at the monitors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well... Listeners, thanks so much for being with us. You can find all episodes of this podcast at be- at berealpodcast.com. Uh, we're on Twitter at berealpod, Facebook at berealpod, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever you want them. There's some writing on the site now as well. We've got some good episodes coming up too. A lot of stuff in the tank. I'm yeah. looking at Noah and he's looking so sunburned but also inspired about these episodes in the tank. Oh, I'm grinning from ear to ear, baby. That's- you can't hold me down. And thanks to Octai for coming on the show uh, and lending his uh, his insight and also what seemed like genuine fandom. So, Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Noah Ballard, it's been my pleasure as always. It's been great. Have a wonderful night, Chance. I will talk to you soon. Bye, buddy. Bye.